This podcast is part of the Game and Entertainment Network. Visit tgenetwork.net to find the latest episodes from all our shows. I don't know who you are, but you're listening to the Burton and Scrooge podcast. Podcasters without any particular skill. Don't say you weren't warned. Hello and welcome to the lavishly tooled and finely crafted Burton and Scrooge podcast. A moderately frequent show about gaming, movies, TV and popular culture. With your illustrious hosts, Brian Scrooge Esquire and the Right Honourable Roger Edwards. So sit down, pour yourself a glass of medium dry sherry and enjoy the latest musings of Burton and Scrooge. Purveyors of the finest quality podcasts throughout the civilized world. Hello and welcome to the Burton and Scrooge podcast, episode number 32. I'm Roger and as ever I'm joined by my co-host, Brian. Hey everybody. Technically, Brian, this is episode number 32A, because we did record some material for a podcast about two to three weeks ago, but um, didn't really sort of come up to the standards that we we expect, so we elected not to actually release it or edit it or take it forward in any way, shape or form. No, that is on the cutting room floor. It's the nature of podcasting, isn't it, sometimes? You just record stuff and sometimes you feel that you've really given a good thorough discussion of a subject and sometimes you just feel that you're reaching as i recall i think we've done this three or four times now over the past how many years yeah i think there's been quite a few shows that have ultimately not met our satisfaction and have been consigned to the um the trash as it were but hopefully not this episode hopefully not so welcome back to all our regular listeners it's um been a while since we've produced a show but that's the nature of Burton and Scrooge now we just simply cannot stick to a regular schedule we have to do it as and when because we are busy people so, coming up on this particular instalment of Burton and Scrooge, we will be looking at the secret world becoming secret world legends. There's a definitely an interesting discussion to be had there. Also want to touch upon fan films, uh, specifically Star Trek fan films, because Star Trek Continues has just released... A new episode, and I thought the recent Axanar ruling was going to pretty much kill off Star Trek fan films, so obviously that is not the case. But let's begin with a discussion entitled The Average Lotro Player. Now, I wrote about this recently on Contains Moderate Peril, and it got quite an interesting response. The post actually ended up being um, discussed further on Massively OP. I think it's a subject as well that isn't just pertinent to Lotro itself. I think it's relevant to a good many other MMOs. So, without further ado... Let's dive right in. I wrote a post recently that got a fair amount of traction 
It is based upon a discussion that I had on a forum. It was to do with MMOs and their audience and how there is a perception that the forums, the official forums that are set up to represent those MMOs or the subreddits seem to sort of become perceived as being the heart and soul of those games and that the people that speak and discuss on those forums or subreddits are effectively a broad cross-section of the game's players and that they are, in a way, the litmus test as to what the mood of the player base is. And effectively, in the post, I I postulated that that was really not the case at all. The fact that many a time community managers for MMOs or developers of specific MMOs have said the forums are not representative of the player base. And that the general thrust of the post was the average player in Lotro, but I think it's something that you can effectively say the average player in most MMOs, is just busy getting on playing the game and doesn't really have a great deal of time for forums, press releases. They don't even read the message of the day, Brian, that's on the actual game launcher. And this is, as I said, the second time that I've discussed this sort of situation and wrote it in a blog post and it seems to have been picked up by quite a few different people um, even got retweeted by an ex-community manager <laughs> and so many people seem to sort of get in touch via Twitter and say yeah I'm an average Lotro player or I'm an average MMO player and they didn't look upon average as being a pejorative term they just said yeah this is pretty much how we play the game we come home we log in we do what we want to do we set our own goals and we don't really generally concern ourselves much with what's going out in the wider community and it would appear that that idea seems to have been greeted with a degree of yeah this is the way it is now you've played a lot of games you and certainly you've been heavily involved with some MMOs at a guild level what do you feel about this concept of the average player yeah I, I was rereading your article this morning and and it it, it struck me as, as very true and at one point you had mentioned um, you know, getting involved in, in, you know, reading outside of the game and then having that knowledge that you can share, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think, and, and I used to be that player in WoW. I, when I first started that game, I didn't know that there were resources outside of the game, so I kind of struggled through it. And then obviously having outside resources makes things easier. And I got to the point where I was the person in the guild that everybody asked so kind of they didn't have to get the information because I, I sort of did it for them, if that makes sense, which is kind of funny. Yeah. But it, it always frustrated me when people, like there was a patch and people would come in and go, oh God, this thing changed. What's going on? I'm like, did you read the patch notes? No. What what patch notes? There was a patch? <laughs> and it, it just flabbergasted me, to be honest. But it's funny that now I've kind of come full circle and I almost resent having to go outside of the game sometimes for information you know whatever i'm playing i 
I kind of feel it's the job of the developers to, which most of them fail on pretty hard, you know, they should have the information in the game accessible in some way. Maybe not, uh, not everything, if that makes sense. But, um, you know, it, it should broadly be easy enough to play any game without needing to go outside. And I think you could argue that for some games, you almost have to go outside. Very much so. Very, very much so. This all stemmed, for those people that obviously haven't read the the, the blog post, one should not be as, as um, presumptive to assume that everyone has. I was logging into Lotro recently, and I just happened to say in Guild Chat, oh, is everyone looking forward to there being High Elves introduced to the game and having a new playable class? To which <laughs> the response was from at least three people, there's going to be a new sorry not class there's going to be a new race introduced to the game oh that's interesting and it's like did you not read the producer's letter oh no and that seems to have been particularly in the guild that i'm in it's always been the way people look to a degree to the senior members of the guild to propagate information it's like you guys go and find out what's happening and if I've got a question I'll just run it by you and you can just fill in the gaps and fair enough that's cool a lot of people just don't really seem to have any interest it's not a question if they don't know I think most people are aware that there are you know producers letters and updates and patch notes and so forth and such like there just generally seems to be a sort of disinclination to look at them because I think so many people play at their own pace and at their own style that they're they're too busy doing the game rather than finding out about a game and if they hit a brick wall they're either ask a kinney or they figure it out for themselves or in some cases if it's a problem they'll just bypass it in their sort of some sort of bespoke fashion by maybe not doing that thing yeah, I almost wonder if, if being blissfully unaware is better than having all the knowledge in some respects, you know? Yeah. What, what bothers me about this is that a lot of the games, to their credit, that I, I play put a lot of effort into going onto, say, a subreddit or their official forums or even onto Twitter and trying to give a heads up to the player base of changes and things ahead of time, right? Yeah. But that doesn't help all of these people that we're talking about who never see that stuff. And, and it's it's literally things like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna remove this item from the game in, in a month in the next patch. So if you have this item, use it now, trade it in, do something with it because at this point in time it's gonna be irrelevant and useless. So all the people who are on Twitter and stuff, great, they know how to do it. But if you're in the game and you don't, you choose not to do that, and Twitter's completely optional, right? Reddit's yeah. completely optional. Even the forums, obviously, are completely optional to playing the game. There's never any notification really in the game itself in most of these cases. And so these poor people log in and they have, oh, I've got a thousand of this. Oh, shit, wait, <laughs> it's useless or, or it's gone. Where did it go? That, that's the kind of stuff that really bothers me about it. It's like, you know, if you're going to communicate, you need to communicate to everybody. But that is the difficult thing to do. Like, how do you do that? 
you've got message of the day in the guild. You've got as the game's launching, you've usually got bullet points with hyperlinks mm-hmm. on the actual game launcher. Most people aren't going to be disposed of that. They're waiting for the game to start. The last thing they want to do is click on the link that takes them away from the game. With Star Trek, if I remember right, you've got an icon that flashes that will bring up a sort of screen that will tell you about recent changes. But then you've just got a big box on your screen that's filled with text. And it's not even text that's well paginated. So you just look at it and go, wall of text, not reading that, la la la, playing the game, why is this broken? <laughs> Ask a person in the guild or the fleet or whatever. And it, it does actually raise a really interesting predicament from the developer's point of view. Because most MMOs have this sort of spectrum of players with you've got very laid back casual players at one end who log into the game and work through it at their own pace. And then you've got this other group who want to achieve everything they want to be the best at the best they want to be the the guild that does the new raid and defeats it first they like the pvp they like the accolades the achievements they like the min maxing they will embrace a spreadsheet that explains everything away to them these are the players that because they like the information culture associated with the game they then want to discuss it so they are the people that will make their presence felt on the forums very, very heavily. So I suppose it's this group of high, shall we call them high-end achievers. They tend to take up all the air in the room, as it were. Yep. And that's fine. I don't have a problem if that's how they wish to play the game, because it doesn't really impact on me. So if they want to go ahead and play the game that way and achieve all these the things that you can do in the game that that that's fine but because they are the most vocal because they are sometimes shall we say the most knowledgeable because i think they obviously do need to know about the class that they play and they like to crunch the numbers so you know let's not take it away from them they they are usually quite savvy about how the game works but i think sometimes that just makes them possibly erroneously think that they've got more clout more say as to how where what direction the game's going in and maybe it's a question of they can't see beyond their own needs probably isn't it kind of human nature to assume that everybody else does things the way you do you know Mm. until you have evidence to the contrary i mean yeah it, it you know slightly tangentially too something that occurs to me is you know, I'll just use WoW as an example because it's an easy one that people are familiar with. We, we, they have said, and we know that, that raiding is a very small part of that game, player base-wise. It seems like it's big in the game, but not that many people actually do it, percentage-wise, right? Mm-hmm. PvP is the same way in that game. But they put an awful lot of effort into those two areas on the development side. Like, how much bandwidth is being wasted on this, right? I'm not, I don't mean wasted because it, it's... It's content that those people enjoy, but it's a, it's a clearly a, a a large minority of the player base actually does any of it. So you've got the majority that that never see it, and it's kind of like, I, I you know I don't want to take that away from those people, but I'd like to see those hours being spent where the majority is, right? <laughs> well, yeah, and, you know. Anyway, like I said, slightly tangential, but um, yeah, and, and then and along the lines of what you're saying, how many how much bandwidth is wasted just policing forums do you think yes 
which the community manager could be using to provide actual feedback, but it's how hard is it to sift through forums sometimes because you know how they get. It's frustrating. From my perspective, the, the most vocal groups are the high-end players that like to do the raiding and role players. They usually seem to be the most vocal groups. Yep. Fine. It's interesting what you said there about the amount of development resources that are sort of poured into um, MMOs. The, the big thing that came with um, Heart of Thorns for Guild Wars 2 was all of a sudden content that was group dependent. Yeah, yeah. It was a massive change in direction from what they had done previously just in classic core Guild Wars 2. And I don't know how they arrived at the decision that this is what the player base wanted because because of Heart of Thorns, I'm not playing Guild Wars 2 anymore. It's that simple. I never even bought Heart of Thorns, and I thought it was really funny because Guild Wars 2, which you and I played in a beta, and we, we had bought and enjoy it, have enjoyed it, their, their whole claim to fame, and we've talked about it at length many times, was being frictionless, right? Yeah. And then they had an entire expansion where they introduced friction. <laughs> and it's just, it's bizarre. Like, I wanted to, I, I wish I was at that meeting and just wanted to say, what are you guys thinking? Why this radical change from, you can do everything in the game almost by yourself, except the, the instances, right? Yeah. To all of a sudden, you can't even run through the zone alone almost, from what I hear. I've, I've never been in, in any of the hardest of Thorns content, but yeah, it's... I just wonder if sometimes the vocal minority doesn't skew things for everybody else um, because they, they do have such a hard time sifting through it. And that's that'd be a shame too, right? Like, you know, if, if 5% of the player base can, can skew it for the other 95, that's not, that's not good for anybody. No. And didn't Wildstar, to a degree, oh <laughs> predicate its whole raison d'etre upon let's take it back to basics with lots of sort of hardcore raiding and progression that you had to work through to unlock content A to get to content B and stuff. And, you know, that didn't exactly work out for them. Although there was this very vocal group saying, this is what we want. This is what we want. Give it to us now. They then gave it to everyone and everyone went, oh, well, I don't want this. And it's just like, Duh, do you actually know what you want? Well, that, that's the other bizarre thing is that they decided, oh, our players want hardcore rating like WoW originally was, you know. And, and so we're going to do that. And they did. And, and I understand the rating in that game was pretty good, but it was hard. It was a lot harder than almost all the other games. And people were like, well, screw this. <laughs> you know, it, you know, like the, that entire game was predicated that people wanted it, something that they didn't want. And then now, it's funny that you mentioned Wildstar, now they're kind of screwing up because... They just had a patch a couple days ago, and if you log into Wildstar right now, you can get a free max level character, just given to you for logging in. So if you're you're a player like us and the people we're talking about, right, average player, the whole point of the game is to get the max level for us because we're probably not going to raid, right? Yep. So by giving us a max level character, with with max level gear, by the way, it's probably starter gear, but still, it's it's gear that's appropriate. What the hell is there for us to do? We're not raiding, so we don't need to do any gear for that, and we're literally at the end of the game the second we accept that character. That's it's it's like bizarrely stupid. But you can get it a wild star right now and get it. 
I've often found instant levelling to be a bit of a double-edged sword. Having done, in games like Star Trek Online and Lotro, raised a couple of characters to level cap the hard way, I can now see why someone who's done multiple alts will finally reach a point where they say, I just don't want to have to take the alt to level cap again, but having a level cap alt instantly would be a good thing. But because you've played through the game several times before, you're aware of the content that you will or will not necessarily be missing. So I can see the sense in that, but just saying to a new player, okay, go straight to level cap, just to me seems to be such a massive act of self Defeat. It's like the whole point of a game is to get your player base to play through it. Just saying, bypass this and go straight to go straight to the winning post, and yeah. cross the winning line, and here's a prize. Just seems to me dumb. The whole point of leveling is learning your class, in my opinion, and learning how to play, and just taking a new character and saying, okay, you're at the end, go. And you have all the you know all the skills and everything, and you don't have any context. I had that problem with WoW because WoW every expansion now gives away an almost max level character. It's like the max level of the previous expansion, and they have a, a kind of a tutorial thing that you run through to learn it, where they disable a lot of stuff. And but even as a veteran WoW player who has put in thousands and thousands and thousands of hours into that game, I get really confused. I accepted my max level character in this last expansion and I started playing it and I had no clue what I was doing, even though I know that game inside and out, I feel. So yeah, I, I don't think, you know, I'm glad I got the max level character because I would not have wanted to go up 100 levels, trust me, in that game. I've already done it. I've done it more than once. Um, you know, you're doing a thing in Lotro, right? Which, uh, you know, you've decided to kind of work on another character and, and, and go back and see parts of the game you've seen, but I think you also, don't you, kind of want to figure out a way to jump yourself ahead a little bit because it is kind of a grind and a drag because you've already done it, right? Indeed. Uh, I'm In Lotra, I've created a new Hunter and because it's a fun class and it's also very easy and you if you do it right, you're massively OP'd and you can just breeze through areas, which I wouldn't want a new player to do. I'd like them to stay and experience those areas. But for me, it's like, yeah, yeah, I know where this story's going. So I'm quite happy at the pace that I'm making. But um, it's, it's focusing on, on Lotro, because that was the actual centre of the post that I wrote, the most important factor about that game is the IP. That is what reels in most people. You will find some people to say, I've got no interest in Middle Earth, but I quite like this game. But... That That's not the norm. Most people are playing the Lord of the Rings online because they are consummate Tolkien fans. In fact, many of the people in my guild, sorry, my kinship, they're not even gamers. They won't even identify themselves as gamers. They don't play any other games. They just saw that there was a Tolkien-based MMO and just thought, oh, I've never done that before, and I'll give it a try because it's purely Tolkien. Yep. And to a degree, that's also transferable to Star Trek Online. Both those games have a massive hook, which is the IP itself. So then you've got people coming in and playing a game, and they play through the tutorials, and both those games now have pretty good introduction to tutorials that teach you how to sort of navigate around the world, how to do your skills. They're as polished as they can be now, so I think a lot of people will come into the game 
Star Trek Online, Lord of the Rings Online and go, not necessarily a gamer, but yeah, I've got my head around this. I can now progress with this. And they just do it at their own pace. They're not necessarily fussed about having the best gear. To be honest, when you're doing PvE content in Lotro, you don't need the best gear. You can get by by what the quest, the quest rewards just offer you, can't you? Yeah, and actually in Lotro, I'm, I'm at max level on, on my main, and I'm not even wearing... My armor's still behind. And even though I'm picking up better quest rewards, I'm just like, yeah, I'm fine with what I have. You know, it's it's all sitting in my bags right now. Um, so, so maybe an interesting flip side to this, though, because you were just talking about how important the IP is. And I hate to go back to WoW, but I'll do it just real quick. So World of Warcraft is based upon an existing IP, although it is a game IP, right? Yes. That was extremely popular. When I started playing that game, I had never been exposed to the IP. To this day, I don't care at all about the World of Warcraft IP. It, it, none of it, the, it, it means nothing to me. I just like the game. So I guess I'm in that position, right? <laughs> like, like uh, I genuinely like a game and the IP doesn't matter one bit to me. It could be anything. I just like being in World of Warcraft. Strange. People take their pleasures as and when they can find them. And that antagonizes those high-end players. Because high-end players are very much focused about doing things the way they do things. And it just bamboozles and perplexes them so much that you've got people who... Like, there was a guild the other day that was streaming on Twitch and... They just play purely the Shadows of Angmar content. Mm. And part of the guild rules are, is the moment you hit level 50, you have to equip that um, XP disabler. Oh, okay, yeah. Because that's their thing. They just like that part of the game, and they're just prepared to play through it again and again and again and again. And then there are other people, because they're just into the role play and that sort of side of things, that they've got intermediate characters sort of halfway through the game and they haven't gone to the new content they're just still hanging out in Bree because that's where the roleplay community is and they're just doing their own thing and as long as it makes them happy that's fine in fact you'll probably find that the happy player is the player who's more disposed towards buying items from the game store now in Lotro's case the role player is going to have a field day because I'd say, what, 60% of the content of the Lotro store is cosmetic stuff? There's an awful lot of neat stuff in there, yeah. Yeah. And this is why I find it fascinating because at the end of the day, the developers, if they want to pander to any one group, it really should be the average player, the player who just logs in, plays casually, isn't that fussed about accolades and achievements they just they just want some content to play through they like the story they like the ip so in standing stone games case to be honest the most important thing they've got to do to, to keep their core customers happy is just continue to produce engaging epic quests and regional quests and everything else then is on a sort of declining scale afterwards oh and just make sure that there's plenty of new shiny bling in the store because that seems to be pretty much, and I don't mean this in a bad way, just mean this in a sort of factual observation way, that seems to be pretty much all what that group of players want. And I don't really see why 
we still have to be banging our heads on all. That's not to say why PVPers and Raiders shouldn't get some representation. Of course they should. They still constitute part of the player base and their requirements should be met. But they shouldn't be at the expense of other things. It's it's interesting because I've read a few ad blog posts recently. I still check in from time to time with um, Tobold's blog. And he still has a, a an adversarial relationship with fellow blogger Gevlin. And Gevlin seems to like to do high-end stuff. He likes PvP. He likes achievement. He holds a lot of stock in being competent and knowing what you're doing. And he has a very clear... Well, I'm saying he, I'm assuming it's a he. There is a perception that there is a right and a wrong way. And he feels that modern MMOs are not challenging enough they're too laid back and embracing of the sort of um the casual player and there's a little bit to a degree of animosity there because he feels that his game experience is suffering as a result of how other people like to play and the developers are therefore indulging how other people like to play but to, to me it's just straightforward business isn't it if, if you've know that x amount of your player base want hats specifically tricorn hats then you're an idiot if you don't give them tricorn hats yeah i mean you know if challenging rating in a game is the end-all be-all why didn't more people play wildstar you know why don't more people play eve online because it doesn't have that big of a player base and that's that's an extremely challenging and cut through a game isn't it yeah so, so, I mean, these games are out there. It's just that most of the people want a different experience. And, uh, yeah, it, it's business. Are you going to cater to the the 70% or the 30%? You're probably, if you want to make money, going to cater to the 70% in some way, shape, or form, right? Uh, why wouldn't you? As I said, this whole situation with me writing this post ultimately stemmed from just a, a simple reminder that I had um, an experience I had recently in Lotro in which I was in the Lone Lands and I was in the Circle of Blood and I'd just been given that quest by Radagast where you have to go and kill Gaunt Men and the Gaunt Men are usually surrounded by three or four whites so it can be a bit grindy to actually take them out and you're at a sort of point in the game you're sort of in your middle 20s level wise locro wise and all of a sudden i found myself in the location where you had to kill everything and there was just someone standing in my peripheral vision it was another hunter and then all of a sudden i got um you know would you like to fellow with them invitation and i just thought yes i would complete stranger and I'm very, very sorry, I can't even remember their name, which is very remiss of me. But the point was, we spent about 40, 45 minutes just clearing this area, little bit of backwards and forwards, little bit of chat. Didn't know them from Adam. I got my quest done, they got their quest done. It was, quite, it was, a, it was just fun. It was just nice. And it was just a nice reminder of what it is about MMOs that can be really good and engaging. Good fun content, but it's even better when you're playing with someone else and having a shared experience. And, you know, we passed a few pleasantries and then parted company, and it just was a little reminder of what it was like to play an MMO back in 2008, 
And no one had a huge complicated agenda. No one had any criticisms. You're playing your class wrong or you're doing this wrong. It was just two people helping each other out, going about their business for the fun of it. And I just thought, that's what MMOs are about. And it just... If if there is a problem with the genre, maybe it's we've lost sight of that just to a degree. And maybe people just need to stop for a moment and reconnect with that sort of basic concept. And then learn from that and maybe MMOs will become a little bit more sort of enticing and inviting once again. Both you and I own the secret world. Yes. We, if memory serves, we played the open beta on that game. Didn't necessarily subscribe to it as soon as it came out. And then I think both of us round about the same time as it went by to play. Decided that we were sufficiently interested to pick up a copy as soon as it became economically viable And I think both of us probably got it on some sort of discount weekend and probably spent no more than what $20 on it Probably even less than that because we're both pretty cheap <laughs> We can be we can be when we're pushed, but sometimes we're self-indulgent Anyway, um, the secret world. I think both of us have said numerous times in the past that there is a game that has a great setup for an MMO it's an interesting subject matter it's great that it's not your standard fantasy setting it has a brilliant backstory with really really good narratives and that if there is a weak component in that game it was the painstakingly tedious combat I still have dreams that go like this. One 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 two three. One 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 two three. Because that is all I did in that game the entire time I played it. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much my experience. And the fact that I don't think I ever progressed beyond the starting area. I did, it got really hard. As soon as you went to the whatever the next area is called, I just started dying constantly. It was and that wasn't even the hard part, by the way. The hard part was the next area after that. <laughs> so, yeah, I suck at that game. My memory for The Secret World pretty much goes as follows. Ooh, this is fun. Ooh, let's read up on what faction I should actually affiliate to. I think I'll have that one. Hmm, let's create a character. I can remember writing a blog post about the fact that it took me several days to even find a character name that was available because of that usual poorly conceived mechanic where the MMO doesn't tell you what names are taken. It just says it's gone, but it doesn't tell you a comprehensive list or give you any relevant suggestions. Um, finally, after creating a character, 
you go into that sort of initial starting zone, Kingsmouth, which is sort of a bit HP Lovecraft like. It's a coastal town that succumbed to sort of like spooky supernatural aquatic style forces. And yeah, there's some very interesting storylines there, but it was just the fact that the combat was so repetitious and unsatisfying. I would pick a weapon like an assault rifle and you'd be shooting at stuff. Going through your skills rotation, it's like nothing's dying. Well, it's certainly not dying quick enough. They're getting closer. Oh, I better start retreating. And that was it. You just sort of went up to a group of mobs, started shooting and just continuously backpedaled and then advanced and then backpedaled because of the, the, the sort of poor, unsatisfying combat system. And it's a shame because because combat is such a quintessential part of the game it's 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 a mechanic that everything else sort of like hinges on you're going to be spending a lot of time killing stuff in a, in a horror based survival stroke mmo if it's not particularly enjoyable you've pretty much failed straight out the gate haven't you yeah and it was incredibly disappointing for me because the game itself the the atmosphere the setting was very compelling and very different from anything that's out there. I think it still is very different from almost everything that's out there. And the quests, if you got onto the ones where you did all the investigations and stuff, that was all pretty cool, wasn't it? I mean, like, you had to actually think and, and, and you know, well, you, I guess you could go to websites and get the information, but, you know, look around at your surroundings and it wasn't just go kill 10 things. It was like, here's some clues figure it out and it didn't really hold your hand and I kind of like that because that is also quite different but the combat was just horrible so after I think by the time we both bought it and tried to persevere with it we all reached a point our own personal point where we were just frustrated there before we pretty much abandoned it but I've always regularly read blog posts by other players that have persevered with it you know people like Sip who who regularly writes about it and it always sounds like, again, there is a great deal of interesting storylines there and it takes you all over the globe and there's all sorts of positive facets for the game. But then everybody always seems to say it's punishingly hard in some of the group content. And therefore, I've never really felt a compelling reason to return to it until <laughs> the recent announcement by Funcom that they're obviously acutely aware that the game's not doing as well as it could have done, despite its transition from subscription to a buy-to-play game, and therefore they're retooling the game. And effectively, not just tinkering with it, but effectively stripping away, so it would appear, the MMO element of the game, and just stripping it back to an action RPG, like a sort of Fallout or a Skyrim, but within the secret world mythos, shall we say. Yes. It's a bold move, isn't it? It, it? It's it's interesting because I think it was last month the the word got out, they had a presentation that, that Massively OP got hold of, and if you kind of read it closely, that they are no longer developing Age of Conan, which yes. is the Conan MMO. And also, is the other one they do Anarchy Online or something like that, right? Well, whatever it is, that's no longer being developed either, but Conan Exiles, that survival game based in the Conan world, paid for itself within like a week. <laughs> you 
You know what I mean? Like yes. it was incredibly successful for them. They're not doing the Lego thing anymore. That that's all gone completely too. So everybody was kind of wondering about Secret World, and it, it they had plans for it, but they were like, "Oh, we're going to have this announcement." Well, here's the announcement. Surprise! It's no longer going to be an MMO. Surprise! We're actually doing all this work to it. And we're going... Basically, what they have said is they were never really happy with the game the way it turned out, that in retrospect, they felt they could have done other things, and and so here's their chance. (laughs) So supposedly, Secret World Legends will be the secret world that Funcom wanted to make, and for whatever reason didn't, we shall see. So far, from what we've seen, because there's been a few announcements... There's been been a closed beta test that's had an NDA associated with it. Then there's been quite a high-profile breaking of the NDA that has forced Funcom to sort of make a public statement about the fact that what you, what's been leaked is not necessarily going to be what we end up getting. Has anything passed in front of you, Brian, that's made you think, hmm, I will return? Oh, I'm going to return. Just to see it. Why? Why wouldn't you, right? <laughs> I mean... I didn't hate the game, I hated the combat, and unfortunately in in any MMO or almost every computer game, combat's the bulk of the time you spend, right? It's That's kind of the point, and so when the combat sucks, why would you want to play the game? Well, I like the rest of the game, I I like the the different kind of missions, I like the, the setting, I actually regret that I wasn't able to get further, so here's possibly my chance. How about you? Um, it very much depends on what they do, because I must admit, I'm intrigued by the concept of stripping away the MMO aspect and making it more of an RPG, like Skyrim, like The Witcher, games that I have had a great deal of enjoyment from and enjoyed the dense narrative and the gear progression and the skills progression. If they address the combat, if they address the character models, because you have to remember that the actual engine, the game engine that Funcom used, their own proprietary one, I believe it's the Dream Engine or something like that, it's called, doesn't present the most flattering of of game animations and visuals. So if they tweak that and sort of drag it, it kicking and screaming into the 21st century, that will be a selling point for me. The other thing is the dreaded ability wheel. Remember the ability wheel? And the build calculators and the fact that if you wanted to suddenly take a tangential shift in what weapons you dis- you used in your as for your character in the secret world, it, you didn't get just get a refund of points. You had to play through a ton of content to get the points to sort of respect yourself. It was, frankly, I thought an unfair system. I was always so frustrated because all the veteran players who had a filled out ability wheel were always like, oh, stop complaining about it. If, if you decide you want to do something else, just go ahead and, and play the game really hard and earn those points to do it. And I'm like, but why should I? I've already earned points, right? <laughs> like, yeah. why are you penalizing me for changing my mind if I didn't know until I actually tried it? So, But but it was easy for the veterans to say because they already had the skills they wanted. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, there was a lot of systems in that game that I thought weren't very well thought through or at least for me they weren't well thought through that it sounds like they're addressing the ability wheel is basically gone from my understanding so that's a plus 
they're they're changing basically changing it completely about how you earn your skills and and allocate them and these types of things combat's changing completely so it's going to be interesting to see how it all falls out um but just as an aside i am interested enough that i've already reserved my name in the new game my character name fair enough because you're allowed to reserve one character name from Secret, Secret World to be able to use in Secret World Legends. And I actually downloaded the game last week and I installed it, logged in real quick. And then I was able to say, yes, this is the name I would like to be using. So I don't have to worry about my name now. It's, it's a curious situation because although they are effectively building a new game, I mean, your character... Your class is going to have the ability to self-heal, as most modern MMOs now have. Um, they're going to revamp the whole travel system via Agatha. There's going to, you know, you're going to be able to play possibly in solo even a lot of the previous group and instance content. It, it, there's certainly a lot going on. Yet, I think they said initially that you're still going to be able to play the old classic version of the game from the same client software but you just launch into a different game so it's like you, you fire up your launch and you either go yeah secret world legends play the new stuff or i'm gonna go and log into the old stuff and you just think Qua? why <laughs> probably because they had people pay for it right and, and mm -hmm. because they had lifetimes and all of these commitments is but just that's just my guess i don't really know they could just easily shut it down and say legacy obligations I, I will say that, that things that you have earned in Secret World will carry over to Secret World Legends as far as um, if you have, like I did some of the events and I earned like cosmetic things, like pets and stuff like that. I've got not very many, but a couple. I think those will transfer over. They're, they're actually going to have a system to do that. So that's kind of cool. But they're also not going to be supporting the Secret World or developing it whatsoever anymore, the old game. So yes, you can log in if, if that's your preference, and yes, you can play it, but it's it's really going to be in the same state as it is now, essentially, is what they've said. So why would you? Now, there's obviously a cost in doing this conversion, and businesses don't do things on whims. Businesses are usually in the thrall of corporate bean counters, so someone somewhere has done a balance sheet that says if we throw this amount of money at the game and revamp it we have the potential to make this amount of money back because there's obviously going to be an in-game store there's still going to be cosmetic items and uh, quality of life items and convenience items for sale so obviously they see this as a means of making money therefore can we logically deduce that if they didn't make this step they would probably have to think about just canning Secret World because it simply wasn't making sufficient revenue and it was becoming clear that you either make the change now or else the game would have to close. Do you reckon that is the case? Yeah, maybe they painted themselves into a corner and this is the result, right? I mean, it's, it's a bold move, I think. I, I, I can't think of any other MMO that has relaunched like this as a separate game. I think Final Fantasy... 14 relaunched itself remember that mm -hmm. but but it relaunches as as the as a the same version it, it was it was another mmo it was just they fixed all the problems this is fixing the problems but it's also making it not an mmo and i'm just going to read between the lines here 
I looked at some of the screenshots of the UI, which are not final, but they're substantially changing the user interface and they're simplifying things. I'm pretty positive this is coming on consoles at some point. It has to be. Yes, that's an interesting point. A couple of MMOs of late have made a successful transition to consoles. And I think that it's a market that quite a few people now have got their eye on. It used to be a decade ago that all major developers just thought we need to have an MMO in our back catalogue. They are allegedly the yellow brick road that will lead us to a cash cow because everyone had their eye on WoW's success. But now it would appear that everybody seems to think the console option is a great way of filling your pockets because let's face it Neverwinter and Star Trek and um, Elder Scrolls Online seem to be doing very favorably on the consoles platforms and seem to be pulling in sufficient revenue and it's a huge trend because this week just like a day or two ago Marvel Heroes announced their console versions mm. and not too long ago um, Path of Exile which I know you You've never tried, I don't think, but another action RPG, they're also going to be out on console. And that's an actually really popular game uh, with people that like ARPGs. So, yeah, it, I mean, it looks like, you know, you've taken the same game and now you've got extra audience and all the more revenue. I will say that Secret World Legends is going to be straight free to play, which kind of, I don't know if it surprised me, but I guess it did a little bit. I thought they might do buy to play again supposedly it's not only straight up free-to-play supposedly like most other free-to-play games you can earn everything by in-game means so it sounds like it's going to be one of the fairer systems similar to a star trek online right you can yeah and neverwinter which was a game that was specifically created just to be a free-to-play mmo wasn't it yeah, so, I mean, it, you know, it remains to be seen what, what the nitty-gritty details are, but it sounds to me like it's promising. It, it, it almost sounds like it's going to be a Guild Wars 2 thing where you pay for services and you pay for cosmetics, which is fine. That people don't mind doing that. I, I don't mind doing that in games if I like them. I will say that they're being very, very stingy, though, for people who own, like us, who own the secret world. You only get one character slot. I have more than one character slot in Secret World <laughs> right now. I think I have two or three of them that I've either paid for or they just came with whatever we bought. But I'm only I'm only going to have one in the new game unless I pay to unlock more. I think that's kind of crap, personally. Well, that leads me on to an, a sort of devil's advocate-style question that I had sort of lined up. I'm looking at the show notes. You either invested in the secret world when it came out and you became a subscriber, or you you took the plunge and was a buy-to-play customer when it made that transition. The game has existed in those various states for several years. Do people who have invested in one or both of these previous incarnations, do they honestly have, in your opinion, Brian, a right to have any expectations or do you feel that because they've spent that money it's the, the old sunk cost fallacy they spent that money they've had their fun in the past this is now a totally new product they should take it as a new product and therefore relinquish their emotional baggage relating to the game there you go there's a devil's advocate question well i i think if it was a new product then none of us could expect anything but it's not it's the same game <laughs> they're just tweaking it 
So, uh, yeah, I mean, well, and by the way, they're honoring lifetimes. So whoever bought those will have lifetime in this new thing. So I don't know if it's going to be called lifetime, but they will get the same benefits going forward, which indicates to me it is the same game, right? Why would they do that otherwise? So, yeah, I mean, I, I do think you could have some expectations. H- having said that, I, I think I paid for subscription probably. I've tried it three or four times over the years. Usually when I when I pop back into a game like, like you do, um, you know, I'll pay for a month because you get some kind of accelerated whatever and some free crap, and, and I just do that. And, and that money's gone. I don't expect them to say, oh, we're going to give you credit for that. But I would like, you know, like I said, my pets and things I've earned in the events, and I wouldn't mind having my character slots. I, I do. It would be nice if at least two of them carried over because I usually have two characters. But, you know, at the end of the day, it is what it is. What do you, what do you think about it, though? I'm a little bit conflicted because at first glance, it looks like they're just augmenting an existing game. But then when you actually start digging into the changes that they're making, these are really big changes. To me, it's it's a curious situation. I actually think it's more than just an augmentation. I actually think there's a good chance that people, when they finally log into Secret World Legends, are going to find themselves confronted with a radically different game. And that might be a stumbling block for some people. Yeah, I mean, the, the systems in the game, I think, are radically different. But just in my opinion, the game itself is the same because it's going to be... It's going to be the same zones with the same quests, with the same, you know what I'm saying? Like, none of that's mm-hmm. changed. There are no new areas. And in fact, all of the areas that are in Secret World aren't necessarily going to be in Secret World Legends at the beginning. Like, Tokyo's gone. And apparently they, they were able to build up Tokyo since you and I have played. I, I just think that they're, you know, if, if it was, oh, we're going to scrap the entire game code... And we're going to redo it and have different zones and, and new quests and, and all of these other things. But we're going to call it the, the Secret World because it's set there. That, to me, would be a new game. The way they're doing it, it's just they're prettying up the old game. They may be fixing it, we hope. It's it's interesting. I think, obviously, we can speculate only so far. And then we've effectively just got to dip our toe into it and find out the hard way. Do you think that Funcom here are maybe... If they do this and are successful at it, could you see this becoming an accepted, tried-and-tested business model for extending the lifespan of existing games or failing games? Can you suddenly see, if this works out, other games suddenly being stripped back of their MMO aspects and being turned into sort of quasi-RPGs? Possibly. I mean, I, I would imagine this costs a lot for them to do, but they feel that it will pay off. It also takes a lot of time, as we know, to do these. We know converting Lotro to free-to-play took a lot of time, right? Yep. And, and a lot of the developers' energy went back when they did that. So could you imagine them taking any game you play and, and saying, hey, we'll, we'll simplify it, we'll streamline it. We'll, you know, My guess is they're going for the shorter play sessions, right? And they're trying to get, I don't know, maybe MMOs are a bad thing now. I, I, I haven't really noticed that, but I've always been into MMOs. But I guess people are playing Overwatch type stuff now, aren't they? And Golden yes. Exiles type stuff. And, you know, H1Z1 and Player Unknown's Battlegrounds just came out. And those are the type of games where you can play them for 
20, 25 minutes, whatever a, a play session takes, and, and you could leave. Whereas MMOs, I don't know about you, but I still, whenever I'm in an MMO, it's usually an hour more at least, if not multiple hours, because that's the way they're designed. They're designed for long play sessions. But I think people want to play mobile games now, don't they? I mean, Turbine became a mobile game developer, didn't they? Well, they have, but they've yet to sort of produce a, a, a hit title. That, that's still to be proven as well. I'm just curious because although it's not exactly the same, not exactly the same by any shakes, but there are similarities in what happened with Star Wars The Old Republic when all of a sudden they said, we're giving you Knights of the Fallen Empire. And, and effectively you just started a completely new character from scratch and just embarked on a completely separate storyline that had you know fundamentally different aspects to it. Uh, I could see Star Wars The Old Republic being stripped back and tinkered with and just turned into an RPG. I kind of wish they had when they had the chance. Because <laughs> they did it half-assed, right? Yeah. Or how about uh, Wildstar, right? How many times are they going to retinker that? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a neat game, but is anybody playing it? And it's already gone free-to-play, and they've already tweaked it at least once, I think, since or something, or at least tried to. Wildstar definitely seems to be sort of treading water, shall we say. Yeah, it, it, it's on my list of being gone soon. Okay, on a, on a final note with regard to the secret world becoming secret world legends, do you feel that this is indicative of the fact that MMOs in their traditional sense have pretty much gone bye-byes? MMOs now have to be niche, or they have to fully embrace this, the theme park concept to survive. People who sit on forums and comment sections of popular gaming websites and decry how MMOs are not like they used to be are pretty much on a hiding to nothing, would you say? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's cyclical, isn't it? And I'm, I'm guessing we're on the down part of the cycle right now for MMOs. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, seven, eight years ago, it was, you know, the up part of the cycle, wasn't it? Ten years ago was the up part. And it'll eventually be the up cycle again, but I think it's going to take another wow. Not not another wow as far as the number of players and things, but as far as the impact. I think we're going to have to have some game, whether it be a AAA title or indie title or something, that comes out that everybody wants to play. Because look at all these survival games. That was nothing a couple years ago, was it? Who, who was playing survival games like H1Z1 and Daisy and Rust and Ark and, you know, Player Unknowns now, the PvP part of it. That was nothing a few years ago, and now it's like everybody's playing it. Go to Twitch and look. Those are the games that are in the top of Twitch right now being streamed as we speak. It ain't WoW, and it ain't, you know, League of Legends too. League of Legends has been very consistent, but I think people are getting tired of it too. We have discussed on this podcast in the past, Brian, fan films. I've written on Contains Moderate Peril about Star Trek Continues, which is 
in my opinion, possibly the best of the Star Trek fan films that is currently available. And then I believe that we have discussed about Star Trek Axanar and the recent court ruling against them for copyright violation and how, as a result of their activities, CBS and Paramount pretty much came up with a comprehensive set of guidelines saying if you're going to do fan films about RIP and our copyright material, this is how you've got to do it. And they had a pretty comprehensive set of guidelines which said things like it cannot be more than 15 minutes in length, you can't do long convoluted story arcs, you can't throw more than a certain amount of money at it, and you certainly can't open up production offices. (laughs) So, bearing all that in mind, I thought that the Star Trek fan film scene was going to pretty much grind to a halt it would literally go back to just kids in their basement making sets out of plywood filming it on a super 8 except now it would just be with you know their cell phone or something like that and then blow me down i'm sitting there on youtube the other day in my lounge scrolling through the list of newly added material and there's a new episode of star trek continues the eighth installment and i thought hang on how can they still be knocking this out so i did some digging around and on the star trek continues website they have a blog and on that blog it actually addressed this question because obviously a lot of people like me thought what the hell i thought you guys were going to get canned and it would appear that they have not they're they were initially considering producing 13 of these episodes of star trek continues which is exactly what it sounds follow-on episodes still set in the original series galaxy stories set within the five-year mission of the original show and they were going to do 13 but as a mark of respect quote unquote for cbs and paramount's wishes they've now decided to cut that from 13 to 11 big concession I was flabbergasted that they, for want of another word, Brian, could get away with this. But then the more I think about it, the more I can't help thinking that out of all the fan films, did CBS and Paramount like Star Trek Continues the most? And did they unofficially, and do they still, have some sort of preferred status? It appears so. I mean... (laughs) You know, when you brought this to my attention yesterday, and I've been thinking about it, and they can kind of do what they want. They own the IP, don't they? So yes, they 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 were kind enough to set some rules and basically say, okay, you know, we don't want there to be any wishy-washiness. If you would like to use our IP, here are our conditions, which is good, right? So now everybody knows, but they are allowed because they're the owners they can do whatever they want they don't have to hold everybody to that do they no and they could just as easily say hey we like the burton and scrooge guys could you guys do an episode for us and we'll let you do a seven hour feature film (laughs) and we'll be like okay yeah we'll we'll drum up some money and do it thanks a lot cbs you know so yeah maybe they just like the product and they, maybe they're rooting for them. Who knows what's behind the scenes? But it, it appears if they're going to be letting them do 
11 episodes and, and continue on with that, given all the restrictions, that they do have some kind of special dispensation. Well, let's consider for a moment why they might have special dispensation. Star Trek Continues is crowdfunded and on the occasions that it has run Kickstarter campaigns, it has pulled in tidy sums of money. It has known artists associated with it. I mean, uh, Vic Mignogna is a known voice artist. Curiously enough, he's provided voices for Star Trek Online. Hmm. You've got Grant Imahara from um, Mythbusters playing Sulu. You've got production design and effects supervision and conceptual art done by Doug Drexler, who's a stalwart of the of the Hollywood film effects industry. And he's actually had dealings with bona fide Star Trek shows in the past. He's done production design and effects work for them. So, that, And then plus the other glaring fact that Scotty in Star Trek Continues is played by Chris Doohan, who's James Doohan's son. So you've got son playing his dad's iconic role. And you, <laughs> this is a good pedigree. It is a good pedigree for a fan show, isn't it? I mean, it doesn't really, it's not really fair to call it a fan show, is it? I don't think it's a fan show, but but maybe here's the difference. Don't they conduct themselves as a fan show broadly? I mean, it's yes. got it, it's got actors in it and all of this, and and so you could you could say okay, there's a professional level quality to it, but they weren't, as far as I know, and I could be completely wrong on this. I don't think they were buying offices and setting up a studio for that. I don't think they were trying to sell merchandise. <laughs> I, you know what I mean? Maybe they are, yeah. but I'm, I'm saying I, I think they conducted themselves with a little bit more respect, maybe, and yeah. and maybe less of a bull in the china shop situation because Axonar, all they were, you know, as I recall, they were, hey, we're all professionals, and so we're going to take all this money and do all of these professional things, and and it, it was more of a business then it was a fan thing and maybe that's what raised the hackles of CBS and Paramount. I, I don't know. We, you know. we can only speculate, but it sounds plausible. In, indeed. I mean, Alex Peters, who's the sort of guy behind Star Trek Axanar, this iconic battle in which the Federation first locked horns with the Klingon Empire. It's a, it's a story that's often referenced within Star Trek canon, but it's never been depicted on screen. And yeah, it was a very, very, very good idea and a great opportunity for a fan film to explore. But I always got the impression, and I believe this was actually said by quite a lot of people involved in the Axanar production, that they were ultimately pitching to CBS, weren't they? They were trying to force CBS's hand because at that point... This was about two or three years ago when Axanar sort of started building up a head of steam and pulling in money from crowdfunding campaigns. There wasn't Star Trek Discovery brewing officially. I mean, Star Trek Discovery has really only been renounced since late 2015. And when Axanar was being conceived, there had been no Star Trek, official Star Trek for a decade and I got I always got the impression that effectively you just had a production company who said we want more Star Trek, we'd like to help you look we've prepared everything for you why don't you just endorse us officially and bankroll us 
And I think that's the distinction. Star Trek Continues is done by high-profile professional fans for the love of the material. And I always got the impression that Axanar was just trying to basically pitch a gig and get themselves employed. Yeah, and, and I've been following this all along. And I, to me, it comes down to, and this is on the Axanar side, maybe hubris a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they just were, maybe they thought a little bit too much of themselves for for whatever reason. And maybe, you know, you can't make somebody who owns something do something if they don't want to do it, can you? No. You, you can't make you or I do something we don't want to do. We're going to do what we want. And it seems like they were trying to force the situation. And so no wonder they got pushed back. Whereas, you know... Star Trek continues, you know, I think they had a, a, a different approach, it seems like. The, the the bummer of this whole thing is that I liked what Axanar had done so far. And I liked the plans, and I, I actually have been supportive of them, not financially, but I want to see Axanar, personally. You, you probably do too. Most Star Trek people might. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just really unfortunate that they... They, they took the tack that they did and it resulted in all of this. Maybe the, the best part of it is that now we know what the rules are because you and I had talked about the, the fan rules for how many different podcasts now before they had finally said, hey, here's here's our list. And now we can go, okay, yeah, now we know. Now we yeah. know. This is either okay or not, right? Well, the thing about Axanar was, again, it was an incredibly polished production. You yeah. you had industry professionals giving up their spare time to make this production. You had Alex Peters, Richard Hatch, Tony Todd, Gary Graham. Gary Graham and Tony Todd have actually been properly in bona fide Star Trek in various incarnations. It's, it's a shame that they overstepped the mark because they have sort of shot themselves in the foot. I mean, they're still going to be allowed to finish doing what they're doing, but it's going to have to be a massively scaled-down production. It certainly isn't going to be the series of feature films that they were aiming to do. And there was me thinking that they had to use a very old-fashioned British phrase, queered the pitch for everybody else, (laughs) and apparently not. Apparently, Star Trek continues, has just managed to continue doing what it's doing because I think they are, to a degree, teacher's pet. But they've every reason to be because it is such a superb show. What I love about Star Trek continues is they do direct sequels to episodes from the original series and pick off where they left off. And they even get cast members who were in the original 60s show and get them to reprise their role. It's, it's, it's incredibly polished. It has music, original music composed for each episode, but it's so classically in the Star Trek idiom. I would say to anyone who has a passing interest in Star Trek, the original series, just go and watch one episode. They're available free of charge on YouTube. Um... And I think that's another reason, isn't it? The fact that Star Trek continues finance these um, these films and then they would show them at fan conventions first mm-hmm. and then release them on YouTube and stuff. It, they always seem to go about it in the right way to make it look like, quite rightly, as you said, that they were being respectful and they weren't effectively trying to line their pockets in any way, shape or form. Yeah, Star Trek continues to me as the very essence of fandom, isn't it? It's... Oh, yeah. here's an episode, what if? Isn't that what we all do? 
wonder yeah. what happened next. Well, they wondered too, and they made a production out of it, didn't they? It's pretty cool. Big subject here, and just we're just going to touch on it ever so slightly, purely because it's so such a complex thing. But I, I think this, and rolling back a few years when George Lucas still controlled Star Wars, I think fan films really do test now existing copyright and IP law and possibly highlight the fact that there is a requirement maybe to modernise and maybe still protect people's intellectual property but maybe just give a little bit more latitude and leeway and embrace you know fair usage and stuff because everyone now has access to professional audio and video making tools so trying to shut everyone down it's a bit like putting your fingers in leaks when more leaks are popping up all over the time eventually you're just not going to be able to sustain it surely yeah i i think that don't don't laws always lag typically anyway and we're talking about you know the technology part of it right the internet you know it's all because of the internet which moves very very fast as we all know and lawmakers move extremely slowly which you know maybe they need to they need to consider things and maybe you know some of the most of the lawmakers actually might not even be aware that this type of thing's an issue you know because they're busy doing other things that i don't think they're all necessarily 100 percent technological savvy and i don't think i'm being rude by saying that either so yeah it's it's uh i would throw patents in here although that's not part of the same subject but similar you know intellectual property laws right any of those yeah i I don't know what they could do to change it but you know does there need to be protection for people probably we could argue that you know some other time maybe yes maybe no but you know i guess if you create something you would probably argue yes wouldn't you (laughs) if you if you want to use it you would probably argue no uh you know maybe just you know the the way it's set up Currently, the DMCA is an issue here in America as far as how it's being used uh, to uh, suppress people, which wasn't really the intention of the law, that type of thing. I think all of that needs to be addressed at some point. I just don't think it's going to happen quickly. It's not a priority given everything else that's happening in the world right now. No, because irrespective of copyright infringement, lots of organizations are still making shed loads of money aren't they <laughs> they might complain about piracy and copyright inven- uh, infringement but there are still huge sums of money traveling backwards and forwards so i suppose there's no real incentive at present to embrace complex and costly things like changing adapting and modernizing laws in the meantime i would just say to people if you like star trek go check out both prelude to axanar which is still available and definitely watch at least one of the star trek continues and if you if you dig it watch all eight of them and make sure that you signal your support to the makers because they deserve some credit it's it's a remarkable production all things considered it's been a long road getting from there to here oi less of that do it properly.
Well, that seems like an appropriate place to bring this particular episode of Burton and Scrooge to a conclusion. Once again, we'd like to say thank you very much indeed to all our regular listeners. Your ongoing support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to get in touch with us, then just listen to the end credits. Details and information required is contained therein. We've got things so well organised now that I don't even have to tell you to sod off. The credits do that for me. So, until next time, ta-ta. Thanks for listening to the Burton and Scrooge podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you didn't, then sod off. We'll be back soon with another episode. In the meantime, feel free to leave comments or a rating on iTunes. You can email the show via Burton and Scrooge at ContainsModeratePeril.com. Don't forget to follow both Brian and Roger on Twitter, at Siderius and at Moderate Peril. Feel free to support this podcast at Patreon.com forward slash Moderate Peril. Give us some money, you bastards. The Burton and Scrooge podcast is brought to you by ContainsModeratePeril.com and is part of the Gaming and Entertainment Network. Thank you.